Hello and welcome to another edition of ESPN Scrum Reset. I'm your host, Brittany Mitchell, and it's a bit of a sad edition this week because I believe this is my last time hosting this podcast. And like usual, I'm joined by Christy Doran. Christy, thank you so much for joining me and holding my hand throughout the last few weeks. I hope you've enjoyed my company. Look, Britt, I, I, I don't know if it will be your last time hosting it. Um, I think Sam Bruce is going to have a, a really difficult um, challenge on his hands to, to, to kind of come back and whether or not he continues to the hosting duties, takes back over. But it'll be good to see Sam and see how he's going as a, as a first-time parent, um, how much rugby he's been watching, I dare say, a little bit. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we see much more of you because the Wallaroos are going to be having a, a big, big season as well as the Wallabies ahead. We, we caught up with Shannon Parry today, you and I, but we'll talk about her more so, but eight tests on the agenda for the Wallaroos this year and for the foreseeable future going forward too. So that's that's huge. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge year for women's rugby and, and heading into the future. And Lockie McCaffrey joining us once again, and you've been a part of my journey as a host. I hope you've enjoyed your time on the Scrum Reset team and, and chatting all things rugby over the last few weeks. No, thanks, Brett. It hasn't been um, hard starting the week chatting rugby with you guys and watching some really entertaining um, footy over the last three days has been uh, more than enjoyable. So thanks for chatting again, Brett. No worries. And uh, I guess we should kick it all off because uh, I'm sure like you guys, I was eating a fair bit of humble pie over the weekend. Last week, I was pretty clear about not giving the Reds a chance over in New Zealand. And I'm sure like many people watching on Friday night, they shocked everyone and they came through with a huge win, end of a decade long drought in New Zealand. And on top of that, it was against the unbeaten Chiefs. So fair bit of humble pie eaten over the weekend. I don't know about you guys, but I did not see that coming at all. Oh, I don't think anyone saw it coming. Lockie, did you? I wish I could say I did, mate, but no, I, I didn't. But I just, it was such a such a great game. So many um, positives from the game. And um, I, I guess coming up to Wallaby selection, guys like Liam Wright and, and Jock Campbell just reminding um, selectors, you know, the, the talent they've got and, and pushing for selection there. So just well done to the Reds and all involved on a, on a huge win. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Jock Campbell there. He played a, a phenomenal game. What did you see in that game I know I know like Jock and the usual suspects of Tate McDermott stepped up but the back row and the tight five we lambasted them last week and they made an impression over in New Zealand what did you see in that game Chrissy? I'll tell you what I saw 35 minutes into the game the the Chiefs score a runaway try James O'Connor trying to shovel the ball on it didn't work Etni Nana Satora runs away Brad Thorne does what Eddie Jones has done in the past. And and I'm sure, well, I wonder whether or not it was discussed pre-game and throughout the week, might we potentially make it early changes off the bench? They did an entire front row change after 36 minutes and they're bringing on um, Zane Nongor, Matt, Matty Faisler, who's been uh, one of the unheralded kind of players for the Reds this year. And Seth Fargasi, I'll tell you what, that 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 decision there, I think, won them the game because they immediately win the kickoff, um, get a get a penalty, uh, Reds score a try through Tate McDermott. They take the momentum back into the into half time. They were outstanding that front row. You looked at Connor Vest, 
this is a guy who's really probably been described by half the people in the country as a club footy player, and he's just totally fronted up. 20 tackles he made. 20 tackles. The Reds made 220 tackles, which was the most over the weekend. 27 phases. They defended their own line at the end. So much heart in that. But the other key statistic that that they'll that Brad Thorne will be just drumming and driving home to the Reds is six penalties. They gave away six penalties. They've been on average 11.8. You want to know why they've been losing? It's because their discipline has been horrendous for two years. And finally, and against a Chiefs side missing some of the best ball carriers in the game with Santiano, Tokiaho, with no Brody Retallick, no Peter Gasol Latour, the, missing the tempo of someone like a, a Brad Weber. Yes, they were missing people, but the Reds were too with no Taniella. Uh, that was a great victory and something for them to start to think, you know, how do we actually turn the screws on oppositions? And it's about fronting up. It was just straight out of the Brad Thorne playbook, I reckon, that win. Yeah, yeah. mate, how you could tell... You could tell uh, that tight five, especially the unknown names, have, have spent a little bit of time with Brad Thorne. I think he's moulded their work ethic, not just in defence, but also in attack. The amount of times the Reds went 10, 15 plus phases in the A zone with with Tate McDermott just being a general at the back of that ruck and, and running the show. I, I really impressed with, with those guys. Um, and just once again, with, with that discipline and defensive strategy that they had on the weekend with probably Phil Blake's um, expertise there, um, hats off to, to their game plan really coming to fruition. Well done. And it's one of those moments where you're watching it and it's getting to those last few minutes. The Chiefs have those uh, penalty advantages. They're right on the Reds line. They could have kicked it to level the scores and you're sitting there going, because this has happened countless times for any Australian team, but especially the Reds over in New Zealand. They're in that winning position and the last few minutes they lose it and you sit there and you're watching and you're going, just not again, not again. They, they have to get it through. And their defence on their line in those last few minutes going, I think it was, what, 20 phases or something? They've yeah, 27 two, phases, yeah. Yeah, and then there's there's two penalty advantages and to hold out and the emotion and just the excitement out of all of them as they jumped in the air at the end at that final whistle. It's a, it's a great moment and it'll, it'll be something that Reds fans, Reds players, just Australian fans will remember for a very long time. Yeah, I think it's a really clear sign, Britt, of how important a strong bench is too. A lot of the time, as spectators, we want all the best 15 players starting a game and then obviously the, the next best being on the bench. But watching on the weekend, um, the way the Reds handled their bench around their strategy and picking some starters on the bench to, to finish that game really strongly away from home, watching obviously the Brumbies over the last few months, you know, in that last 60 to 80 minute, that last 20 minutes of games, really dominating teams with their strong bench. It, to me, it's just a clear sign of, of a different strategy coaches can go into games around picking, picking key personnel on the bench to finish a game and, and, you know, win games off using your bench instead of starting all your best 15 players um to kick things off. So yeah, I just it's a different different ways of approaching games, and I think um, Brad Thorne did a did a terrific job um, uh, on the weekend. It's a it's a really fascinating point because you could Tay McDermott played eighty minutes on the weekend, and he probably had to. Um, I think at times he's been taken off too early, but then we compare it to someone like a Jake Gordon, who's at the moment playing eighty minutes most matches, and you think, geez, he's got a couple of good other halfbacks around him. 
they they need to start doing a bit more what the the Brumbies with Stephen Larkham are doing when you've got two competent nines where you it, it it doesn't just help the individual. I think it actually helps the collective team, the confidence, the fact that you know that there is the confidence and the depth of the squad to be able to rope play, players in and out because championship t- sides, they're not built on, on 15. They're built on the 23 or indeed the, the larger, wider squad. So it's a good point. I'm going to ask you, Lockie, do you think the Australian rugby, when, when Ataniela Tupo comes back into consideration and, and form and fitness and you've got guys like Angus Bell and Alan Alatoa slips obviously there, there's four or five really strong props in Australia can you ever see the situation of of Australia doing a 35 minutes for your starting props and going you know what Tanyella this is the time now to turn the screws in opposition five minutes out from from half time and then just allowing them to let rip for the second 40 knowing that they're still very fresh Personally, I'd love to see it. Like, I love Tony Eller, but I would never start him in a game. You know, I think his strength is coming on when when defence lines are tired, opposition props are a little bit fatigued in terms of set piece and scrum, and that's when you get most bang for your buck. So, you know, it's not that he's not the say the best prop in Australia. It's not the that way of looking at it. It's where do we get um, the best use of his strengths in a game? compared to a, a slips or, or an Allen who might be more consistent over 80 minutes, but they don't have that 15, 20, 25 minutes of game-breaking winning ability. So, you know, it's uh, it's a funny one. Sometimes the spectators, you just, you know, I hear all this criticism around why isn't he starting, what, whatever it is. But you see the best coaches around the world, they use their bench better than other coaches. And I, yes. I think that that's key. And the hard thing is, um, as you said before, Christy, having that confidence and trust in your bench and your squad doesn't happen overnight. And I remember probably four or five years ago, the way Dan McKellar and Laurie used the bench at the Brumbies. And it wasn't a, um, if Brumbies are winning by 15, 20 points, you will be used. It's you are going on at 55 minutes, no matter what the score, no matter what the game looks like. And that's how we'll put faith in you. I think a lot of coaches, it's almost like once we've won the game, we'll put you on. That's that's not a positive sign for any player coming on the field. There's no trust in that. I think having a clear plan going into a game and giving guys the ability to go, mate, you're coming on at the 55-minute mark. No matter what, rip in. You've got 25 minutes to play your game. Real clarity around that. That's why now the Brumbies bench and good squads are really relying on, on those eight guys coming on to make a difference in the last 25, 30 minutes in games. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes six months. It takes 12 months. It, you know, it takes years. But around that strategy, the best coaches always rely and give confidence on their bench. Yeah, and, and one of the players who re- did really stand out on the Reds bench on the weekend was Harry Wilson. He, We we made mention of him last week, Lockie. You said you wanted to see more from him. And he, he came off the bench on, on Friday night and he uh, himself made, uh, I think it was about 15 or 16 tackles in the few minutes that he was on the park. And, and he also made a huge impact. But if we look on the flip side, the Reds have won and it's it's monumental. If you're thinking about the Chiefs, does that do anything to their season at all? Do we see that having an impact? Like, yes, you, of course, want to go through the whole year unbeaten. That's everyone's goal. But do you kind of go, all right, that's the speed bump and let's just go straight back onto it. 
I think there's probably two ways of looking at it. To me, if I'm bursting the Chiefs as an Australian team in week one of the finals, I'd rather they have gone the whole season winning, to be honest, because the best teams, you learn more from losing than winning. Um, and for me now, the Chiefs are going to go back and actually fix probably five or six things that they haven't really reflected on the last month or two because they've been finding a way to win. So you, you sometimes can brush over it those little those little details of your game so to me it could be um unfortunately kicking the kicking the ass to go to another level in the in this last four rounds before finals but at the same point i think for australian teams it's a it's a really uh exciting prospect that no matter who you're going to verse over in new zealand week one of the finals you, you can win and you can come back with it with a w so um there's two ways of looking at it Hopefully it's the latter and um, it gives all Australian teams um, real confidence going over the ditch to, to get a win in finals time. I'll, I'll tell you what, though, the, the, the big thing in that is, yeah, it all makes sense to go, you know, a loss this close to a finals is probably to kick up the backside that you might want. But if they lose another one and they potentially lose the chance to host, a, you know, to finish spot top spot, potentially go through being able to not leave Hamilton where you're just playing a quarter semi-final would be, would be huge. And, and the Brumbies now have the opportunity to, in a couple of weeks' time, to play them at home and, and and just close that gap, potentially go past them. We know the Chiefs got a tough uh, match this weekend against the Hurricanes, but they also finished their season against the Force. And look, if I'm if I'm Clayton McMillan and I need to 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 win that last game to ensure top spot. You're thinking, well, we're so close to a final series. Am, am I resting one or two guys? Am I taking the entire team over to Perth? That victory is actually huge in terms of the overall ladder and and um, the standings and the psychology of how the Chiefs approached this last month. It'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Before we leave the Reds, Lockie, you made mention of of uh, the Reds' defence coach. Uh, he's a man that you know pretty well and, and from your Leicester days. Are you surprised by anything that we saw knowing how close you are to, to that man? No, then I'm not, mate. I've always loved Blakey. I think his rugby IQ is um, up there with, with most of the top coaches around the world, mate. Um, we used to sit on the couch, mate, having a having an ice cream for, for dessert most nights and just chatting around different rugby league, rugby union players, different teams he's been involved in, um, strategies. And, mate, he, uh, he's he got some awesome experience that people probably um, don't realise about, about Blakey, both at club level, um, international level, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere coaching and footy. So, um, mate, I'm not surprised. And to me, if I'm coaching uh, one of those teams from five to eight, I'm watching that game really closely around the red strategy because it's not about winning, just about winning over the ditch. It's it's about winning in wet. I don't know uh, who, who watched the game on the weekend, but it was really wet, tough, really dewy conditions. And you look at the table, you're going to either burst the Brumbies in Canberra um, in June, or you're going to go across the ditch and play in June. And that's the conditions you're going to get for a finals game. So, you know, to me, I'd watch that game. They left the breakdown quite smartly in areas. Um, obviously, that's why they only gave six um, penalties away. They had real patience in their A, a zone. They tightened up, used the piggies really smartly until, until they had space out wide. So, to me, if I'm a coach of, the, you know, that five to eight teams in the finals and I'm going either to Canberra or New Zealand to, to get a W, I'm really looking at the strategy Thorny and uh, Phil Blake put in place to win that game. 
if, if you're a, a player in the Tars, the Brumbies, the Force, all these teams who who are about to go over to New Zealand or, or are about to take on a New Zealand team, when you watch what the Reds have done, do you go, all right, this, you know, we've got the confidence now. You've seen one of your other, your a fellow Australian team take it to a New Zealand team, the top New Zealand team, come away with a victory as unlikely as it was. Do you now go, all right, we, we've got this too? Like, are you, are you full of confidence? Yeah, I think so, Brett. I, I think, um, as I said, it's probably all teams think on the day they can beat any team in, in the competition, home or away. To me, it's more about the detail, about about finding the win and creating the win. And that's what's uh, probably more evident around the Reds' game. You know, they didn't play their normal style of game. You know, normally you see um, individual brilliance in the Reds' strategy and their game plan. But it was just almost nine-man rugby on the weekend, Um with it, with their tight five and their forwards really going to work and Tate McDermott acting like a general at the back of the breakdown there and just any opportunity Tate got, he, he took on the weekend. Um, so, you know, their kicking, their kicking game was impressive as well. Like they, 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 they played territory. They realized they weren't going to win it by running the ball back, playing the chiefs or what they're best at, which is broken field rugby. It was, it was smart. And you're right to signal out, uh, the uh, the breakdown. Fraser McWright didn't go nearly as hard as he usually does. They often left a little bit of space. They kept like, kept looking up at the referee. I think it was Paul Williams. Kept looking up at him to see whether or not you could go at it or not. It was a really, really smart defensive word. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Mm. Well, it was a, of course, it was a huge game on Friday night. But the, the other big game that everyone would have kept their eye on was, of course, the Crusaders and Blues. And I know... Lockie, you're not too keen on talking about these uh, New Zealand derby games, but it's something that we have to touch on because it was the battle of uh, three and four. The Blues heading down to Christchurch, they were they were overrun by the Crusaders earlier in the year in Auckland, and they and they headed down to Christchurch with, I guess they were, they would have been full of confidence that they could stick it to the Crusaders, but in the end, it was wasn't as much razzle dazzle, I guess, as what a lot of people would have thought they would see or hope to see uh, as a massive arm wrestle and the, the score shows that in the end what 15-3 in the end the Blues couldn't couldn't get through that Crusaders defensive line but did that game live up to expectations I know we didn't get the excitement factor perhaps that we or the high scoring excitement factor that we may have liked but does that what is that what you expect when you go into a Crusaders Blues game? Yeah, I, I was a, li a little bit underwhelming watching the game. I was really excited um, when I put it on. And yeah, don't get me wrong, it was super physical, both teams going at it. But um, once again, with the, with the wet, dewy conditions in, in Christchurch, the skill level was pretty poor, especially from standouts, you know, guys like Bowden Barrett. I'm sure he wouldn't have been impressed with with some of his options. Um, you know, the back three, Ioni at the Blues, he didn't stand out. So yeah, it was a it was a little bit probably underwhelming. Obviously, two good two good teams that are going to be hard to beat in the finals. Um, but yeah, a little bit underwhelming, and it just didn't have that finals like I guess feel without um, Adam Adam Whitelock in the in the lock position too. Big Sam Whitelock there. Yeah, you're right. And and I think the other factor that and and Paul Carley touched upon it actually in a in his regular uh, column to start the week. Probably a lack of kicking at times and attacking kicking. And 
And we don't just see it from the New Zealand sides. We've seen it across the board. It's something that I'm surprised at, and it actually probably speaks volumes about the lack of um, depth, strength in the forwards from the Australian sides. If you've got an Angus Bell and you're getting front football, I'm looking at Mark Nwanganiduasi and Dylan Peach, two of the best wingers in Australian rugby in the air. Neither of them have been getting any form of cross-field kicks to bring them into the game, and that's generally because they're probably on the back foot or 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 they don't have the confidence in their own game to back their skill set under pressure. That's something that all, all the super rugby sides, I think, will be looking at. We, we saw the Blues do it against the Rebels about a month ago, just absolutely kicked the Rebels off the park. It was... It was like when I see the All Blacks play their best when they are kicking to get the ball back and it's and it brings in the skill sets of Bowden Barrett, who clearly has it. I, I just think that the Blues in the first 25 minutes, they had to absorb so much pressure against the Crusaders defensively and then they lose their captain, Dalton Papali, that they could hardly fire a shot after that point in time. They, they defended brilliantly. Um, early on, they, they managed to repel the Crusaders. They... They kept on going for the corner. Eventually, it came off, but it was an arm wrestle, and and I love it. I think it's great. We've seen we've seen high scoring affairs this year, particularly with the um, with the reduced kind of overall game time, the, the efforts to speed up around the line out. That's brought fatigue into the game. But every now and again, you want an arm wrestle. You want to be able to see because big matches they're always one on defence, and I think that's what we saw on the weekend. And we touched last week on uh, Roger Tuivasa-Strack and we said, you know, this is the game that he needs to make an impact. And in the end, he didn't make the the 23 at all. What do you see in that when you're looking at the Blues lineup? Uh, is Does he just not have a place in this 23 anymore? Well, uh, we're probably not close enough to it. Um, they've, they've clearly gone with, with uh, Harry Plummer, I think it is, who's, who's a really talented 12, generally has a quite a good skill set as well. He's a bit of a leader. He often skippers the side when others are around. I, I wonder whether or not it's a bit more of a, look, you've made your decision, Roger. If this is a line ball scenario between players, I'm picking the player that's staying around longer. Um, and, and he didn't make the bench. And I think it was explained at the time that, um, that, that that he probably doesn't cover as many positions as some of the other guys that were included in the bench. So he'll get his shot. There's injuries always happening in games. He'll 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 get an opportunity later in the in the in the season, I I think, undoubtedly. And do we see when we look at that result, like we said at arm wrestles, very low score line. Do we write the Blues off? I mean, you can never write these teams off, but do they have what it takes, do we think, to go all the way? The one thing, and Lockie, bring you in in a second, the one thing that concerns me now about the Blues is three times this year they've been uh, they've been kind of found wanting. Once against the Crusaders when they couldn't get across the line at home when they had about the last 20 minutes and all the momentum uh, early in the season. A couple of weeks after that, they fell short against the Chiefs, similar sort of scenario. They couldn't find that killer punch. And, and we saw it, obviously, on the weekend just against the Crusaders. That th- There's three matches where a pick just starts to, to be shown. I think any side with that amount of talent, you go, no, you can't rule them out. They're, they're, they're a classy, classy side. Bowden Barrett's a brilliant player. You do wonder, though, is Bowden Barrett taking the ball to the line as much? 
Uh, I'm not sure if he is. He's clearly had concussions in the past. Uh, you'd hate for any of that to kind of be a, a factor. His age, sorry, his pace has always been his strength. Um, he's clearly getting older. But but I think Bowden Barrett, if he can get back to some front football, those forwards start laying the platform. There's no other playmaker in the world that you'd like than, than Bowden Barrett. Yeah, and it's something that we've we've kind of missed through this season. He he was under the pressure. He was under the pump, I should say, earlier in the year. He he kind of, he wasn't producing those stellar performances that we're used to. And he had a I'm not it was a, it was a, the Rebels game down in Melbourne, and he mm. and he put the foot on the gas, and he and he really returned to what we expected from him. But he almost has gone back into his shell again. We haven't seen that Bowden Barrett, what we expect of him over the last few weeks? Yeah, I think outside of Bowden too, um, you know, the execution within the rest of the the team hasn't been there. Like Christy talked about, um, they're a super talented squad and they can beat anyone on their day, but I don't think their execution is good enough at the moment to win big finals games, um, especially if they're playing away from home uh, week one of the finals. So, you know, um, you wouldn't write off the Blues, definitely not. But if they're executing um, week one of the finals the same as on the weekend in the past few weeks, yeah, I don't think they'll get over the line. Mm. Another big game on the weekend, of course, was the Waratahs at home and they've made it three straight wins, two back-to-back at home. It was a, it was a, I don't know, Christy, we were both there. We, we weren't exactly inspired by the win. It was... It ended up being a big win. The results uh, score-wise, it was a, a good win for the Waratahs. When you come away from a game like that, I kind of looked at it and the Rebels were dominating. That first, especially that first 20, but that first half, the Rebels had all the ball, had all the possession. They were up 14-0 at one stage and somehow they head to the Sheds 14 all, and the Waratahs are back in this game and then they're blown off the park. We've spoken previously, last week we spoke about it, about the Rebels playing very exciting a game. They're, they're impressing each week. But when you look at that, do you kind of go, they're, they're making these promises that they're not, they're not fulfilling at the end of the day. They, they, Carter Gordon is producing some really great uh, move, attacking movements. He's playing so well. And then that second 40 on the weekend, they just weren't in it anymore. Some drop balls, some ill-discipline, two yellow cards. At the end of the day, it was from a very well-structured rolling ball from the Waratahs. But you look at it and you're kind of going, it's just that one step, they're just not quite getting it yet. Yeah, early on, Carter Gordon had the ball on a string, had all the run, beautiful ball to Andrew Kellaway and Andrew Kellaway then puts the ball out in front of Monty Yuani, who wasn't able to, to take it cleanly. That that to me was the the turning point in the match. They 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 could have been 19 to 21 nil up after after 20 minutes, but 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 just not able to take their opportunities. And Darren Coleman touched upon it as well. You know, from that 32 to 37 minute mark, that they blew three opportunities, being held up again. Um, Brad Wilkin having the ball dislodged. Um, it, it was it was one of those ones where you go, it, they should have been two tries up at half time. The Waratahs would have been extremely under pressure, but they walk back feeling pretty good about themselves. 
it's just basic errors that are letting the Rebels down from ill-discipline, Brad Wilkin kind of coming in at the side of the rolling wall. That's inexcusable. And he'd given away the penalty for to allow Ben, ben Donaldson to kick the corner uh, before that too. Um, but then, you know, straight after halftime, for the second time in about five weeks, Reese Hodge kicks out in the full from the kick restart. I don't know how that happens so much in Australian rugby. You know, like it, it, it shouldn't be that difficult. Um, and and Carter Gordon was just played out of the game, quite simply. He, 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 you didn't really notice him after 25 minutes because the Rebels' discipline was so poor and they made clumsy, clumsy errors. Look, the, the Waratahs weren't necessarily anything to write home about. They've got a lot of, um, you know, they've got more improvement to, 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 to show, but I don't know if they're going to necessarily get past the first week of the quarterfinals um, with their type five, they need to just make some drastic changes there to get some more players on board. I'm not sure if they are. Um, clearly, Angus Bell's been out all year, but but they're just lacking that edge, that physical presence. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it's a it's a win. It's a it's a building block. Uh, ben Donaldson touched upon it in his post match uh, interview with us down in the shed near the shed. So. Um, it's a good step. They're going to continue to win a few more on the trot, but uh, it's hard to kind of leave completely inspired by what the Waratahs are delivering at the moment. Yeah, Christy, I, I agree, mate. It would have been a uh, frustrating gig coaching the Rebels on Friday night because, geez, there was some good stuff, but there was some horrible stuff um, out there too, especially from some of the leaders within that group. Uh, you know, the ill-discipline, just, just uh, you know, unforced errors, mate. There were too many of them and, you know, I guess there's two ways of looking at it. I think the Waratahs will be pretty pleased. Um, you know, they played at probably 60% and got a really, you know, good win at home too. So that's always a good sign of a team if you can get a comprehensive win when you're playing at 60%, 70%. Um, you know, I, I guess it just goes back to the big difference for me was the Waratahs leaders played better than the Rebels leaders, mate. And that was kind of the key difference there. I, I think Waratahs look best when their back three get involved. Um, and at the moment in games, I think it's taking too long for those three to get involved. So if that's a game plan or just them looking for the ball more, I think that's that's key to their game rolling on. Um, you know, and winning a finals game, I agree, mate. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're exciting at times, but in terms of their exit kicking game, it's got to be a lot more clinical if they're going to win um, first first week of the finals. Well, one thing they're doing well is Jed Holloway. He's he's one of the best in the business uh, on opposition lineouts, and yeah. and that's something that Eddie Jones would would have been looking at. He was there with his coaching structure. They're pretty much all together. I think the only one remaining is is Pierre Henry Bronk and the the rolling more specialist that's that's coming in. But uh, that's an area where Holloway is is separating himself from the rest. What what do you think, Lockie, around the line out there and how Holloway and where he might fit into the equation? Yeah, mate, I agree because uh, you know to me some of that with Jed, I think it's quite hard to coach. I I think uh, watching the best line out gurus, they just read that so nicely, and you could tell. Yeah, I felt sorry for the Rebels forward pack in that second half because whatever they tried to do, whatever they tried to manipulate in their attack line out, Jed just read it like a book. Um, and really changed the game there for, for for in that second half with the Rebels just not being able to hold on to any of their pills. So, mate, I, th I think he fits in um, definitely into the, you know, into the Wallabies pack in terms of where, I guess it depends who Eddie and the team bring back in terms of um, overseas lock personnel. Um, but, mate, I'm a big fan of 
I'm a big fan of Jed. Um, Ned Hannigan obviously um, wasn't involved too. I think Ned's come back from Japan, a better, smarter rugby player too. Um, and I think when when Jed and, and Ned play in the, you know, and then that forward pack together, they're, they're such a different team. They've got real experience, real rugby IQ. Um, and mate, I, I think they're a big part of when the Waratahs win games. I saw Ned last week running. Uh, I went to training on the Thursday and and Ned was being put through a pretty vigorous kind of um, fitness test there. So I don't think he's too far away, um, but, oh, but I agree. He's a guy that um, very much fits a number six kind of role for the Wallabies. He's got height, got personality, great bloke. And we, we've heard Eddie Jones touch upon it. When he's picking a World Cup squad, he picks the first 15 then he picks the last few players because they might not play a hell of a lot, but you need some really good figures in a squad over a hell of a long seven, eight week kind of World Cup stint overseas. Mate, I, I agree. And I think to win um, to win a quarterfinal, you need those two to be, you know, the best players, maybe with Gordon and Hooper um, in that Waratahs pack. And, you know, once again, we talk about guys going overseas and coming back better players. You know, both their stints overseas in Japan, you know, although it wasn't for long, I think both just look so much more confident in their roles within the Waratahs and the system and their experience. You know, I, I love watching both of them play rugby at the moment. And I think going away for, for 12 months, 18 months was a big part of that too for both of them. Chris, you didn't offer to be a, a tackling bag for Ned while you're at the training again, were you? Did you? <laughs> I think uh, I think those days have well and truly uh, gone for me. Um, Lucky Swinton, I still probably get the odd shiver when I see uh, him walking past me. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, it was a, a big win in the end for the Tars, and it was a, a, a bonus point win in the end, and it keeps them. They leapfrogged the Reds. I'm sorry, in the top six, and they are now sitting uh, six on the table. But for the Rebels, it's kind of, it's almost a death knell for them, almost. They're, they're sitting a little on the yeah, table. Yeah, it's out of, I think it's out of Rebels and Force. Um, I think that's out of the Australian teams that can make the finals in that, maybe that eighth spot. Um, I, you know, I think it's out of those two. And it's going to be a it's yeah, tough one to predict in the, in this last four rounds, especially the way the few upsets went on the weekend. Um, so good luck to any tipsters out there picking um, seventh and eighth spot. Yeah, definitely. So we've got the Reds sitting at seventh. Eighth is now the Force, who overtook the Drua, who dropped out of eighth. Uh, and then uh, the Rebels and Highlanders. So there's uh, four or five teams in contention for those last two spots, which, I mean... There's always been complaints about having a top eight system in a 12-team tournament. But at least, I guess, if, if we're going to do that, at least we know that there's a fight. These last few rounds mean something for these last oh, few games. Oh, they mean a lot. And, it, and they mean things from terms of financial things, for sponsorships, to try to say that, you know, you were a finalist last year. It's a big, big thing. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't reward the top two spots enough. That's my issue with the the top eight. If you finish in the top two, I think you should be given the week off to to, to play a semi final against the sides that finish uh, lower you than you in the, in the standings. Uh, there's too much jeopardy. Injuries can come and come into it, but you're right. It, it does make and set up for a really intriguing last three weeks. I, I still think, and I, 
I'm going a little bit off script here at the moment. We saw last week a partnership deal announced between Japan and New Zealand. The sooner Australia looks at Japan and starts thinking with New Zealand around how additional competitions can be set up and so so that rather than Australia looking at the North and the European and the Heineken Cup being the envy of the domestic competitions in the world, there is just no reason why Australia uh, and New Zealand shouldn't be playing a top six, um, the 12 sides, top six playing a championship cup and the bottom six playing in a challenge cup. Uh, and those sorts of things then can kind of add to some more intrigue around the setups and the competitions and the structures going forward. We saw on the weekend Bernard Foley's um, Kubota knock over Suntory that are, that have got guys like Samu Karevi and Harry Hawkins and Aaron Cruden playing it. There's some serious class up in Japan at the moment. A lot of those sides would knock off super rugby sides. Some wouldn't. But I just think that Australia's got to be doing more and more to be proactive in this space because <clears throat> a, top, a top six playing in a, a championship kind of style cup tournament would be just the cherry on top of what super rugby is at the moment. Yeah, mate, I agree. I think we talked about this even on an ESPN podcast maybe two years ago, mate, during during COVID when we were looking at different structures and competition formats. And it's such a waste um, that, that there hasn't been more involvement within the top clubs in Japan. I, I think, you know, as, as a viewer, you look at what the Drua have brought in with their home games especially, and you'll get the same thing from that with the top four Japanese clubs too. So, you know, to me, if you're worried about atmosphere, um, supporters at grounds, et cetera, you're not going to have an issue with playing those top Suntory, Kubota, Panasonic, Toyota, Toyota for Blitz. Teams like this will, will challenge the top super rugby teams and they'll also bring in a huge amount of energy and, and spectators. Yeah, and we got a bit of a taste of it anyway when we had the Sunwolves a few years ago. Yes, they weren't as competitive as we would get of the the usual J Japan top league teams. But we saw it when the teams went over to Japan, there was fans there, there was excitement, people bought into it. And it is disappointing that we we come away a few years later and we've lost teams like the Sunwolves and, and the Hagiwaris over in Argentina. It is a bit of a loss to the competition and, and the excitement and just making the region just a stronger area of the game. We've said for years, World Rugby have looked at it for years. They, they took a World Cup to Japan and uh, and they they want to grow the game in Asia. It's, it's it, the regions down here, Australia and New Zealand, need to do some work as well to, to bring them into the fold. Do they enter the rugby championship? Do we do more? What, do, what more do we do to uh, help Japan in this area? Yeah, look, there was a big step taken uh, last week when it was, I think it was announced last week that Japan's going to get that top tier one status as a nation, which is, of course, they should. They were a quarter finalist the last World Cup. Clearly, the next step has got to be to embrace them in the TRC, similarly with Fiji. Um, it's it's got to be a criticism for the the lack of imagination and foresight, I think, from the administrators currently. That you know they were spooked by by um, the the messy kind of introduction of the Sunwolves and the Haguaras. But just because they they stuffed the execution doesn't mean that 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 the markets that they were trying to enter wasn't a good idea in the first place. They just were clunky in the execution. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
we go back to Super Rugby Pacific. Thank you for the the diversion there, Christy. <laughs> but <laughs> we go we chat around how exciting that is for for ages. I, I uh, I'm the biggest fan of all those things you just talked about, Britt and Christy. I think it had to me. You look at um, situations. And they're only ticking boxes, all those things you just talked about. There's there's no negative to that. And, and that's when I look at things, that's a win-win for the competition, for Australia, for New Zealand, for Japan, for Super Rugby Pacific, the Drua, whatever it is, it uh it only adds value. And and that's exciting for, for rugby in the Pacific moving forward. Mm. I mean, I, I think all of us, I, I'm sure all of us were over in 2019 for that World Cup. Christy, you're working. I was just taking some time off and enjoying myself. And uh, it was a spectacle. It was incredible. And I would, uh, I'm all about it. Let's bring Japan into the comp more and more. Let's, in any aspect we can. It was just a spectacular event. And if they can pull that off, imagine what they could do for the rest of, uh, you know, the rugby championship, the super rugby, all those areas. But I digress. Top eight, super rugby Pacific. There we've we've mentioned there's probably there's two spots really left up for grabs seventh and eighth and there's plenty of teams still in the fight the Reds are, are currently in seventh the fourth in eighth and we got Drua the Rebels and the Highlanders all in the hunt for those final two positions. Uh, I mean I won't break it down for every team the run home but you've got the likes of the Force who are coming up against the Brumbies the Chiefs to end of the season to end the season. Rebels have a pretty hard run home, Highlanders and the Brumbies there as well. So you guys, who are you seeing getting into those final two positions? Oh, look, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I think the Waratahs, they're going to surely wrap up thick. Seventh and eighth, yeah, we've been talking about it for a long, long time. I, I can just see it coming down to that last weekend where, when you've got Fiji hosting the Reds whilst Whilst the Reds, um, you know, that they've had a great victory over over the Chiefs. You look at their run home and they're playing the Blues this weekend, which I think will be very, very tough. The Blues will be obviously out to to make a comeback after after the defeat last weekend. I can't see them resting any players as they come across to Brisbane. Um that that's a difficult assignment. Then they're up against the Highlanders and then they play Fiji away. So Good luck to them. Uh, Fiji's playing back-to-back games to finish the season, regular season at home. They've got the Waratahs, though, this weekend. If they were to somehow give the Waratahs a fright, take a point home, uh, I can see them climbing as high as seventh because I can see them winning their last two games. I think it'll be very tough for the Reds to go over there. Uh, We've seen them already defeat the Hurricanes and the Crusaders. The Rebels quite comfortably at home. I reckon they'll be licking their lips around the, the Reds. It's just whether or not they can keep fit, carry a bit more momentum, and hopefully it's a springboard for the Drua. But I think it'd be great if the Drua can do it. I, I think they will. They'll, they'll make it, I reckon. Yourself, Lockie? Yeah, mate. I think Christy's pretty spot on there. Um, he knows uh, the last few rounds better than most. Um, unfortunately, I'd love to the Reds and, and the Force or the Rebels to finish seventh or eighth because it means we get four four teams in, in the first week of the finals, which would be awesome for Australian rugby. The the way home games are, are playing a big part in these last few rounds, you know, Highlanders have two home games now. Um, the Drew has got a few games to finish off and, and they're almost impossible to beat back there in Fiji. So 
you know, any any anything can happen, of course. Um, you know, I guess the advantage of, of some of these teams fighting in the last last two rounds for final spots is they get that almost finals atmosphere. Um, training weeks leading up to a game where it's either you keep playing or you don't. And and um, you know, I wonder if that will help them in that first week of the finals to kind of create that environment for them, um, you know, two weeks prior to the other teams that are already safe. Yeah. And you hope it it kind of it goes out in the community as well. You know, if you're a force supporter and they've got this one or two more games at home, you really hope that they show up because their season's on the line here. And a home game is, as you mentioned, Chrissy, is is huge. They've, they're the ones that uh, at the end of the day uh, have been making the biggest impact. And if you, if you're a, a rebel or a force or a, or a Reds player, a fan, you'd be wanting to get to that stadium and pack up the stadium because that's been the extra man for a lot of these teams this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it helps when you um, when you don't have to try to pack out a fifty thousand stadium like like Queensland do most weeks. I think uh, the sooner they can get back to Ballymore, the better. But oh, look, it's an exciting couple of weeks to finish the season, and oh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how the Brumbies go about it over the next three weeks as well, because they they've they've played some scintillating rugby at times, but I'm not sure. And, and certainly Stephen Larkham is not thrilled around some of the, the areas of detail and defensively particularly. And yes, everyone is excited by the likes of Corey Tool and he's just, he's tearing it up ball in hand, but rugby is about being played, you know, both defensively and, and in the air. Uh, kicking games huge, certainly in the modern game. And then obviously with ball in hand. So Areas to work on for the Brumbies, but if they can somehow uh, win the next three and, and and host a final, I think that's just as significant um, for Australian rugby, particularly going into a World Cup year. Yeah, I'm not surprised at how um, I read your article with chatting with Bernie after the game, mate, and not surprised at how relaxed he almost feels at the moment. Because to me, I look at where finals games are won and the bench normally win games in finals. I think the Brumbies do that really well. I think out of all the teams too, that 60 to 80 minute mark around their composure and, you know, how clinical they are, that's a massive tick. And to me, their defense hasn't been good enough. But if you've got trust in one coach probably around the world to get a squad up defensively for a finals game, to me, it's probably Laurie Fisher. So, you know, I had a quick chat with him after the game yesterday and he looks very, very relaxed. And although there's probably lots to work on, I wouldn't have any doubts with them defensively um, in, you know, in four weeks' time. And he's someone that Corey Tool mentioned at the end of the game yesterday, talking on Stan Sport afterwards, man and match performance, and he scored those amazing tries. But he did make note, you know, defensively he needs to step up. And, and Laurie Fishin was the one that he dro- name-dropped that he's been working with him to do uh, to get a lot stronger in that area because we did see a, a few instances in that game yesterday where he's a little man he's a small bloke on that field and and sometimes you're coming up against some some big guys and the that's a, an area of the game that if he gets that right he's you know he's one that his name's first on the list for a wallaby squad surely well, yeah. he's not—he's not the first, and he's certainly not going to be the last man to run, be run over by Thomas Samunga Jensen, is he, Lockie? No, he's not, mate. And he—he he made a lot of really good defensive reads too. You know, I—I I don't think he was the only one. It's—it's it's always—it's typical of, of viewers to always pick the small bloke. 
to um to blame for for a defensive lap. But I think generally they're pretty or really flat for sixty minutes defensively. Um, so you know I, I wouldn't just talk about Corey Tall in terms of in that defensive performance yesterday. To me, watching the game in the last twenty minutes, I was really pleased to see Connell come on and make a difference. Connell McInerney and you know, talking about bolters coming into the last month before Wallaby selection. He's a name I wouldn't be surprised to see in the squad. I think reliability around set piece. He's fantastic, both scrum, more line out. And he's also a really smart rugby player around the pitch too. So, and, he, and he's got a good relationship with, with Slips and Allen. So uh, in terms of bolters, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Connell feature in the, in the next few months of uh, rugby. I reckon it was Pete Samu's best match as well that I've seen of him. And yes, he scores the two tries, but he he was hitting the game line. He was running like Bobby Balotelli was at times yesterday. And, and that's something that maybe it was the fact that he lost his hair and he decided to go for a haircut and wasn't sticking out. But I reckon he's just coming into the season really, really nicely. Some of the, some of those older blokes, mate, they they time things really well. And I think Pete's in, in that category, you know, he... Uh, Round one, round two, sometimes for the younger blokes to to perform. But I agree, mate. Really impressive. Um, almost made Robbie look a little bit quieter than he normally is because because Pete was putting his hand up so much. And um, Pete will be a massive part in the, in the next kind of seven eight weeks in terms of the Brumbies season. You know what you're going to get from Robbie. You've got some really good options at seven with Rory, Luke, and Jerome now. And um, I think Pete had some really good experience there at, at number eight. I, I just just lastly on the Brumbies, um, the other thing worth pointing out, and this is the luxury of of squad and depth management from and list management from guys like Chris Thompson now, but before certainly Dan McKellar. On the weekend, they they rest Caden Neville, give him a bit of a spell. Thanks, mate. You've done a really good stint. Uh, before that, I think it was Nick, uh, or it might be Nick Frost coming up now, who gets an opportunity just to to sit back and take a breather. The, the ability for the Brumbies to be able to manage their squad coming into a finals campaign is going to be crucial. And just being able to uh, bring in guys like a Jerome Brown for a Rory Scott or a Connell McInerney into the starting side for a Lockie, uh, Lockie Lonigan, we're going to get to see Ryan Lonigan start, you would imagine, over the next couple of weeks with Nick White's uh, potential sternum injury. That that's a good thing for not only the Brumbies to have Lonigan get some more minutes there, but it's a great great opportunity for him to just take over from Nick White uh, and start that that you know hopefully Whitey's back for the finals and I'm sure he will. They they were downplaying it, but I think it's a great opportunity for him to really springboard into a year, which I, I reckon he'll be on that 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 plane to France um, later on in the year, despite not being capped yet. Is that who you're, Lockie mentioned uh, some Wallabies bolters. Is that who you're, is that who you're putting down as, oh, a, as yours? I, I don't know if he's a, a bolter now because he, because he's been part of the, the most recent training squad, even though Rugby Australia tried to downplay it recently by saying it wasn't an official squad. It was, uh, but yeah, I, I can see him, I can see him uh, not just making the squad. I can even see him potentially starting. I reckon he, like, He's his pass, uh, his fundamental core skills are so highly rated, but he's got the best pass off the ground than any Australian halfback at the moment. I, I can see him uh, featuring prominently under an Eddie Jones coach side. 
Yeah, mate, I agree. Out of all positions, I think our halfback stock at the moment is incredible in Australian rugby. You've got Isaac Fines over at the force playing some really good footy. You've got Ryan Lowrens. It's got a different style of footy, but he's he's massive in terms of that Rebels um, structure too. Um, Tate McDermott, to me, has um, stepped up the last few weeks in terms of his selection and, and the way he's controlling things and a really good balance between his kicking and running game too. So... It's a it's a really tough one picking that starting nine spot. You know the safe options obviously going with with Nick White, but um, there's some there's some guys right on his heel, both Ryan Lonigan and guys from other provinces. If you had to, uh, Lockie, you've obviously named a, a few people that you would see in that Wallaby as a Wallabies bolter. But Christy, if you had to part from Ryan Lonigan, if there was another name that you would put out there. Who would you suggest has really put their hand up? Well, I think it's too early to say Tom Hooper, but I love what he he provides. And he he wasn't brilliant on his comeback match against the Rebels, um, a couple of discipline issues, but he started to find his feet yesterday and, and he flattened one or two guys defensively as well, which I really liked. He's a guy that once Eddie sees more, I reckon people will be licking their lips over, over him. The other one that I think that has really impressed me all year is Rory Scott. And and I wonder whether or not a big decision will be made around the sevens. You're not going to write off Michael Hooper, but Michael Hooper's got to start showing something because there's some really, really impressive sevens coming through. And unfortunately, you know, history doesn't and, and, and opportunities and test performances they're not just given to you on served up in a platter. He's going to have to fight for it, Michael Hooper, because there's some guys that are coming for him. And another bolter, I think, Christy too, and Britt is, um, and he and he made a few silly discipline errors in that second half versus the Waratahs. But the young lock, Josh Canham from the Rebels, there's a little bit about him I, I like. Um, he's a he's got a big frame. He rips in. Um, he's got a bit of a skill set, and it looks like he's got a, a you know a good rugby IQ for a young lad too. So. Wouldn't be surprised with, with you know, obviously the right coaching and his development, you see him in a gold jersey sooner than later. Yeah, and our back roads, Australian rugby, we uh, embarrassment of riches, really, with the amount of guys that we've got running around, you know, Pete Simon, Michael Hooper, Tom Hooper, you've got Brad Wilkin down in, in Melbourne, we've got Lange Gleeson, you've got those guys up in, in, in Queensland, it's, you know, it's there's a lot of guys that you could pin, you could point to, really. Yeah, there's a lot of good options, but how many of them are great options? That's that's the thing I would be asking. I reckon there's a lot of guys that at the moment who are very good super players. How many of them are properly international players? How many of them do we go? You know what? You're a Sam Kane. You're an Adi Severe. You're a Tom Curry. Um, you know, you're a Dwan Vermeulen. These sorts of guys. You know, there's there's one thing playing for the Wallabies. Uh, I, I can imagine, um, but th- there's another thing: being a great player, and and the Wallabies need great players. They don't need run-of-the-mill players. So the next month's pivotal, I think, in terms of showing, you know, what I, I don't just want to be in the mix. I'm actually going to demand an opportunity uh, from Eddie Jones because I reckon if someone can take it, he'll give it to them. Mate, I, I agree um, with what you're saying, but the, the difference is a little bit like what the Red showed everyone on the, on the weekend. 
you know, you don't need the, the best players in the world if you show that work ethic and grunt, uh, you know, and, and will to win. And, and I, you know, I think the Wallabies coaching staff, you know, and, and we've got enough talent within the provinces. If we, if we get a little bit of that Reds mentality on the weekend and that style of play, which some people might say is a little bit boring, you know, kicking game, but that's to me is how you win games of footy. So to me, you know, it's not about picking the best player. It's a bit about picking the right style of player um, because that, you know, that style of rugby, it won't just win a Bledisloe Cup. It'll also go up to France and um, and beat some Northern Hemisphere teams that that play that style of rugby better than anyone. Yeah. And uh, we should mention that Eddie Jones has finalised his, his coaching team for the World Cup. And there was a fair few names there, uh, a fair few league names as well, who made their appearance in that list. But Brad Harris is one, and and Christy, you were you happened to stumble upon this uh, Eddie's new coaching team on Saturday night, just uh, by happenstance after the Waratahs game. What do you make of of Eddie's choices and and Brad Harris, and what do you what do you think that this team brings together for the Wallabies? Well, it was interesting that Brad Harris got it because I'd been told back in March that he was in Sydney and uh, multiple people just kept on coming back to me about, you know, Brad who? Like, this is a guy who's got a couple of decades playing rugby league and then he's gone in and, yes, he's most recently been with London Irish, but he's been a defence coach. And if you're looking for an attacking profile, how much has Brad Harris done? Um I believe a little bit of some starter plays from 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 set piece, but but otherwise he's been the defence coach for London Irish. So it's a it's a risky move I think that Eddie Jones has done. Um, he likes getting guys from all sorts of circles to bring ideas who want to be part of coaching setups, who want to go to the Wallabies, who want to go to a World Cup. Um, but it, it is fascinating because you, you, you think about it, Brett Hodgson, not really, he's certainly not proven that as a, as a rugby coach, um, how much defence he's done. Like I know people will question all of that. He'll bring some principles certainly, but you know, you've got Pierre Henry Bronken, who's a former halfback coaching the, the rolling more, Dan Palmer, one of the best scrum coaches in, in Australia, who's adding a lot of skill sets all the time, but he's he's pretty young in his development with with lineouts. Uh, he's going to be taking over there as well. So there's lots of interesting things. The one thing I can say is that they looked like a happy bunch on Saturday night after uh, one or two drinks. I imagine following the game, but they were they were meeting up, I believe, at eight a.m. Sunday morning to talk and get together. And at last, Eddie Jones has got his coaching structure around him. So I think tick that he's finally done that it's you know the clock is ticking it's two months before the wallabies uh less than two months before the wallabies play uh south africa and pretoria so um time is of the essence i'll say that lucky if you're a, a player and you you say you're in the wallaby squad and you've just seen eddie announce his coaching team structure and you're looking at some of these names I don't know. Are you the, you've got to buy into this, obviously, and you've got to trust that what Eddie's the decisions that Eddie's made are, are the right ones. But do you get a bit worried? You're seeing a few rugby league guys in there, some of them in in roles that uh, they haven't really been in before. I, I don't think so. I, I think some of the leaders might um, 
uh, be in tune to it um, and have some conversations around it. I reckon you could pick probably a third of the squad that wouldn't even, they couldn't even tell you the coaching lineup at the Wallabies, to be honest, because it's, for them, it's not important. At the moment, the next four weeks is about winning games to make the finals and about putting your best foot forward for selection. Uh, you know, that that's the only two important things players have over the next month. So, no, you know, I, I like the way Eddie thinks outside the box. Um, I, I guess the coaching structure he's put around him is, is pretty evident of, of, of the style of person he is. You know, as a spectator, we won't see the, you know, the his, the knowledge behind what he's trying to create there. Um, to me, I like a really experienced um, a group. You know, he's got people from, from all around the world, a um, little bit of mix of some line-out guys, some scrum guys that have done line-out, some defense guys that have done attack so forth, so forth. Um, so to me, to me, I like it because you um, you throw some different opinions and mix and, and knowledge and rugby IP into the box and you you create some magic, hopefully, for the, for the Wallabies over the next six months. So, no, I, I think as a player, it's a lasting on their mind. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited as much as anyone over the next um, couple of months for, for both Super Rugby Pacific, but also um, the start of the Wallaby season. Mm. And it's not really shocking, is it, Christy? I mean, we see we saw Eddie, was it Anthony Seabold that he brought in uh, last year? when uh, yeah, the, or, the year? yeah, a year and a half ago with, with yeah. England, but he's always been thinking outside the square, a bit of mad scientist, but we know he's World Cup record. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think they'd be overly concerned. And I think some of those sorts of things anyway, they would have probably been... Uh, on the hush hush at recent Wallaby camps and uh, whether or not he always got his ideal target you know there was talk that Michael Maguire was one of those guys that he was hoping to, to land earlier in the year um, clearly that 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 didn't happen but um, eight weeks or so seven weeks before before the the World Cup uh, sorry before the Wallabies first test the the squad is going to be you'd imagine will be named in about a month's time so um there's a lot to look forward to and, and who can kind of seize the opportunity over the next couple of weeks is going to be crucial. Definitely. Well, there was plenty of rugby over the weekend and, and the Australian sevens teams uh, got back on the park. I think it's a, oh, I'm not sure how long it's been since their, their last tournament, but the, the women's side had already won their place through to next year's Olympic Games. It's still on for the Australian men. They, I believe, are still in the top five and are still in the position to earn their place, direct qualification for the Olympics. But this weekend they were over in Toulouse and I guess uh, surprisingly, I, I guess for the, the casual fan, the Aussie women didn't perform as well as they would have liked to. They ended up finishing third in Toulouse. Um, and the bogey, I guess a bogey side for them, the USA, uh, had them coming undone in their semi-final. Christy, you're all across it, all over it this weekend. What are you seeing in this in this Aussie seven side, the women that that's just, I mean, not clicking at the moment? Oh, look, nine, nine games out of 10 at the moment, they're playing brilliantly, but it's just that, that game where they're kind of just getting stretched defensively more than anything or, or with ball in hand inside their 22 where they love to play that free flowing game but unable to kind of execute in the crunch moments against physical packs and and that's probably just something for them 
over the next year leading into Paris to really address because every time that they've stumbled in the last probably three, four years, it's been against a more physical pack where they just haven't been able to get, get out of their 22 uh, and play the game that they're wanting. So whether or not they need to tweak their game plan or Tim Walsh hopes that that experience that they're generating at the moment allows them to, when they face that bit of adversity from a, a, a physical side that's coming at them, whether or not they can make those 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 decisions uh, and a proper and a clear decision making to to get them out of those tricky situations. But look, it's certainly not all doom and gloom. Third place is still a a good effort, and it probably speaks volumes about how good a side they are when you you know decrying them finishing third. But Madison Levi, you know, a record breaking uh, try. I think she scored a 57th try for the season on the weekend, which is a record in the calendar year. Um, she's she's an unbelievable athlete. And we saw that right throughout the tournament, particularly in that in that final, uh, in the bronze medal match against France, where she scored a couple just leaving defenders for dead. So, um, uh, you know, that, that finishes their season. Next year's the big one, clearly going into Paris. The men have got a fair bit of work to do to get there because they, yeah, they're fifth at the moment. They probably won't, from a mathematically, there's still a chance to to get that top four qualification for for Paris. But more, it's shaping like they'll have to play and win the Oceania competition later on the year to secure their comp, uh, to secure their uh, qualification. Um, a shock loss against Canada, 12-10 in the quarterfinals, dumped them out managed to rally well, but it's just that one match that, that the Aussie men at the moment are in, in quite a different way to the, the women who are struggling to get out of their 22. It's just silly errors and just switching off. And in the blink of an eye, the men in the in the sevens competition, they're just so quick that they'll always punish you. So I think it's just staying focused for longer for the men's side. But they round out their their season at Twickenham this weekend. If they were to finish first and either France or Fiji crash out very early, then they would uh, potentially scrape into fourth. But it's nonetheless, it's a big one for them to finish the year on a high. It should be mentioned as well that the Australian women did finish a series second. So they were silver medalists. So, I, I mean, as you said, it's there's a fair amount of pressure and the fact that we're decrying a, a, a bronze finish and I don't think they had a, a, a much of a chance of dethroning New Zealand in, in this last tournament. But it was still an impressive year from this team. I guess we we have very high expectations on this women's side to produce magic every game. And uh, unfortunately, it's just not the case well, you, you can do that <laughs> you're going to pick the bones out of a very good side and that's what you've got to do you've got to take the lessons out of out of uh defeats when you lose them new zealand were under pressure themselves in the final against the usa last night they turned um i think they were trailing 14 nil once sarah hurany uh copped an early yellow card um for a deliberate knockdown they managed to come back uh and fight their way back out of out of a hole, whether or not the Aussies can, that's their big learning over the next year. But as I say, you much rather do it a year out than than uh, than at the Paris Games when you're going to be playing probably at the start of France in front of a lot of lot of fans. Yes, definitely. And as you said, we still got a year ago until until the Olympics in Paris. But we look ahead to this weekend, and there's and there's. Uh, uh, would be remiss of us not to mention the Wallaroos opening Test match of the year. 
and uh, they'll be taking over. They'll be taking on Fijiana on Saturday night at Allianz Stadium as a, a curtain raiser before the Waratahs match. And uh, we won't go too in depth in it because we haven't had a chance to see much of uh, this Wallaroos squad just yet. But uh, I mean, there's a, a, some few. Uh, there's a few new names in the squad. Um, a lot of the experienced girls have either retired or, or heading up, have gone up to Europe and and won't get a uh, chance for selection until later in the year. But we've seen the likes of Caitlin Hulse, who I don't suspect is going to make that Wallaroos debut just yet. But we've got Carice Dallinger, who the back end of this Super W season, it was revealed that she actually had an Australian dad and was uh, eligible for a Wallaroos uh, call up and, and she's turned her back on the Black Ferns, which is fair enough. She'd been flying a, flying away over in New Zealand and, and wasn't getting the call up. So she's come over here and and straight away she's made an impact. And I, I suspect she'll be starting on the weekend and she'll um, do some big things. But the big story is, of course, Shannon Parry, 13-year-long um, career, sevens gold medalist, four World Cups, four World Cups in the 15s game under her name. And and she's uh, made the decision to retire after after Saturday night. But huge, um, huge player in the the women's the women's game. And uh, it's sad to see. Well, I mean, it's, it's sad. It's bittersweet, I would say, to see someone like her go. Such a leader of this team, and probably alongside Charlotte Kaslick, one of the most well known figures in Australian women's rugby. And Christy, you were there today with me when we we saw her at, at the announcement. But one thing that struck me, I, I'm not sure if it struck you, was Wallaroo's coach, Jay Tregoni, chatting, uh, he's talking about the impact that Shannon and some of these women have made on girls' rugby. And he was getting teary about the fact that his daughter witnessed that 2016 gold medal, saw Shannon Parry and what she did, and so his daughter went out, picked up rugby ball and started playing rugby. And it's it's a really, like, it's a great moment to see the, the impact. Oh, it was a touching moment. I don't know him well enough to know whether or not they were tears, or, but I, I certainly saw that twinkle in his eyes. Oh, look, it's a, it's a, it's a great day for, for Shannon Parry to be able to kind of be our own terms, uh, a test match this weekend. Um, we talk about it being a curtain raiser. You know what, I'm looking... Oh, I really hope that 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 it, we, we, we kind of change the, the psychology and how we talk about this game. This isn't a curtain raise. This is an Australian test match playing against 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 Fiji. It should be a great game. Um, and, and, and look, if you're wanting to watch a game this weekend, those two are going to be great. The, the Fijians will turn up in their numbers. It'll be very loud. It'll probably be the best atmosphere this year. And that will take something given that the Brumbies played uh, the Waratahs in front of a reasonable crowd first up uh, on the opening night of, of the super competition. So that is something to get to. Great servant of Australian rugby, uh, always was was a team player, a, a, you know, the captain of the, the Aussie seven side in 16. Um, classy, classy player, great on the ball. Uh, you always remember Ed Gee just going into places where many, many people wouldn't dare and... Um, Fair play, you tip your hat to her, don't you, Lucky? Yeah, mate, it should be a cracker game. I can't wait to watch. Um, and just huge credit and really applause to Shannon Perry on her career. Um, role model for both, you know, boys, girls, men, women, in you know, supporters around Australian rugby because 
you always knew what you were going to get from Shannon Perry. She ripped in, led from the front. And I think it's a clear sign of her um, influence in, in the women's game in Australia with the 10 uncapped players being named in the squad too. You know, to see so many upcoming talented, uh, you know, players get added to that Australian squad, you know, first of all, shows thanks to some of the leaders that have, have really driven that over the last decade, but also how good, you know, the, the impact Super W is having, unveiling a lot of talent around Australia too. So, you know, you, we might not see all 10 of those uncapped players this weekend uh, with the first test versus Fiji, but as you said, Christy, that eight, eight test matches um, over the next few months and really excited to see some of those new new girls put on the put on the gold jersey and represent Australia. Yeah, this it's the first test of the year, and as we said, eight tests, but it's a, a massive, a massive season. They go on to a pack four competition against uh, the Black Ferns, USA, Canada, which then if results go their way, they'll go into the inaugural WXV. Uh, WX1 competition, which will uh, see them play the likes of England, France, um, and I believe it is uh, Wales, who are the top three Six Nations teams and and, uh, and play in that, that inaugural competition. So it's a, a huge game, a huge year for the women's team and a huge game on the weekend. And, and like Christy said, you, if you want to go catch some more rugby, and, and this will be a belter of a game, make sure to, to head down and and uh, cheer on this this fantastic women's team. It's the first time we get to see them since the World Cup last year, and it's a, a bit of a new lock team. So it's uh, it'll be fantastic to see them run out on home soil again for the first time in a few months. Well, well, I guess uh, we'll have to wrap this one up. It, it may have uh, gone a bit longer than uh, planned, but thank you guys again for joining me. And uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say farewell completely goodbye just yet who knows I might make another appearance but I, I, I just want to thank all the the listeners who stuck around I do keep an eye on the uh on the charts and there wasn't a drop-off so I thank you all for uh sticking around <laughs> and, and uh listening to um uh, people say I've got the gift of the gab I don't know you tell me uh, <laughs> but Christy Lockie thank you so much for joining me over the last few weeks and uh uh, let's uh, let's hope for another cracking weekend of rugby. Oh, Taylor, no, no, it's been a pleasure. So thanks again, and and uh, looking forward to, to to welcoming back Sam Bruce next week. But um, Britt, you've you've killed it, so you'll be back, no doubt. Thanks, Britt. You've been fantastic, and hopefully, uh, we're chatting in twelve months' time. And and the Super Rugby uh, Pacific game is the undercard for the for the Wallaroos Test in Sydney. Um, well done, and hopefully, chat soon about more footy.